We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse Sound on Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kulsik and I'm joined, as ever, by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Good, actually. Whoa! That is... I'm doing a happy dance. That's the the most positive thing you've ever said for how things are going. Yes. Don't push it. I won't. <laughs> I'm going to move swiftly on to say uh, I, things are also going well for me because we had fun the other day talking Friday Night Lights with Stephanie Smith, and that's going to be at the end of the show today. Uh, such, a, such a fun segment. Uh, of course, Steph's from Potential Cast, so more of the Buffy fandom out there. Love you guys. Uh, but it was lovely to talk with her. And... Uh, before I talk about anything else, I got to mention our amazing race pool. Now, sir, are you in for the amazing race pool this year? Sure. I was so close. To, you know, if I count my clown points, I did win last time, but you didn't I can't, sign so. up. You did not sign up in time, <laughs> so you don't get any clown points. That's how I, I, it works. In my in my head and my heart, I do though. Is the thing. Much like last year, we will be do or last season, I guess, of Amazing Race, we will be doing uh, a bragging rights pool. We're not actually going to do any money, but uh, but you know maybe this year I considered having an amazing prize, an awesome prize to go with it last year. Maybe we'll do I'll do that this year. Um, but if you like watching the Amazing Race, you should totally uh, drop us a line and get signed up. So send us an email to televerse at gmail dot com, or drop me a line on Twitter, and we'll figure uh, figure it out so that you can uh, join in with us. Because I think it helps add a little bit more fun to the uh, proceedings. And uh, as I recall, it was uh, it was a bit of an upset at the end with who won. Yes. Uh, yeah, but I, I couldn't tell. I remember beating you that's all yes I remember. that yes. was the only part that mattered to me i went from like fourth place to last place or something like that and you went from last place or something like ridiculous like that up to second or third I, or... yeah i was second yeah yeah so it was it was a lot of fun of course i imagine dan will be in again um and i believe adam won last year so hopefully adam comes back to you know protect his his title uh, right. against the, the all challengers. I, I was hanging out with uh, David Bax from Battleship Pretension early, earlier this week. He was in town, uh, as well as his fabulous girlfriend. And it sounds like they're going to join in. So you should be cool, like like uh, like our listeners and like like David and like us. And you should do the Amazing Race pool. Yes, yes, you should. Except yeah. uh, this time, if, if I get the feeling that I really, really hate someone, I'm going to put everything down on them in the first week, <laughs> as I should have done last time. <laughs> and if you're not sure about uh, who you should root for, I believe, I could be speaking out of turn here, but, but I believe that Dan either has up or will soon have up a meet the teams kind of post because he'll be covering amazing race for us again. So that, that'll give people a bit of, of an idea of who they should uh, pick as their, their starting team to win it all and who they think should get eliminated in the first week. But um, 
you can, like I said, drop us a line and we'll, uh, we'll get you hooked up so you can join in on our amazing race pool. Um, one of the other racers last time was Mario who gave, who left an awesome comment for us. Uh, let's see his, his Emmy picks pretty much didn't win. Um, though he did say he liked Modern, uh, Modern Family, so he's probably stoked about that. He talked about Misfits, which is... Have you caught up with that yet? I know it's one I've been meaning to catch up with for I, forever. I have not seen one microsecond of Misfits. Uh, I don't know when the next season of that is starting. I believe they do have another season or series, and so hopefully I'll be caught up in time for that, because I know it's... I keep hearing that it's great. Um, especially because, you know, it would be nice to counteract it with... Uh, or compare it with Alphas, because I guess it's a similar kind of idea he totally called louie by the way he called what was going to happen at the end you know a couple days before it aired so well done mario props there and he also he's seen the first few episodes of homeland and dexter so i'm jealous well i'm jealous about one of those one of those not not both but apparently dexter gets much better this season i know it was sort of an off season last year um and then finally amazing race good wife and vampire diaries mario is truly one of our people He's he's like us. He loves TV, and uh, we always love hearing from him. That is true. Uh, Mario, you rule. Uh, we also, uh, I got a chance to talk with people on Twitter this week. Uh, I was, st- I'm still a little under the weather. You, however, are fine. I don't know how this happened, where I'm still sick, but but you're fine. And I, I've been, uh, you know, it was my birthday this past week. I've been doing terrible things to myself, and <laughs> I'm sure you've been very well behaved. Yeah, lots of orange juice, lots of soup. But um, but I got a chance to talk Doctor Who with people. Um, we people seem to enjoy our our segment last week with Capone with Steve Procopi. So that was so much fun. You guys will be getting another installment of that probably around the end of the year. So that I'm glad you guys seem to enjoy it. And then we also heard from new listener Bob. So Bob, thank you for listening, and uh, we hope you stick around. Yes, we need more, more like Bob, more <laughs> more Bobs to rise up. And listen to a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's really a rise up kind of thing, but uh, I'll, I'll go with you there. Um, I want to mention at Sound and Sight, of course, Fantastic Fest. Is that underway or is that soon to start? That's still, no, that's, we're in the midst of it, I believe, right now. And uh, lots of, we're, there's going to be podcast and written, there's lots of written coverage already, but we're doing some cast coverage as well. And then also we have... A crazy amount of TV coverage this year. Uh, oh so my god! I'm just gonna list, list these off alphabetically, and I'm sure I'm confident that I have forgotten at least one or two shows. But right now we're covering, or we are soon to be covering, alphas. Uh, do it in, oh wait, wait, do it in one breath. Okay. Oh. Alphas, Amazing Race, Boardwalk Empire, Boss, Community, Doctor Who, Fringe, Grimm, Happy Endings, Hell on Wheels, Homeland, Last Resort, NCIS, Nikita, Once Upon a Time, Revolution, Supernatural, Survivor, The Thursday Night Comedies, Treme, The Vampire Diaries, and The Walking Dead. Oh, that wasn't as hard as I was hoping. No, Breath to Spare. We need to get more shows, clearly. But (laughs) yes, so if if you like any of those shows, we're going to be having uh, reviews, weekly reviews of all of those, as well as some other stuff going up, uh, a couple different columns that are going to be a little more varied on what shows they cover. Um, and that'll be all at this fall. And then, of course, it, once we get to January, there new shows will be starting up. We'll be changing up uh, what shows are being covered. The big one that we are still waiting on, I believe, is we still don't have anybody for American Horror Story. So if you want to cover American Horror Story... Drop us a line, and uh, we'll see if we can work something out, because we would love to have... Uh, the person who was covering it for us last year started med school, so, you know, yeah. he can't do we it don't, anymore. We don't have Good Wife, either. We don't have Good Wife. That's FYI. another one we would love. We would love to cover The Good Wife, because it's such a great show, but, um, yeah. So, 
Just a few. Yes. <laughs> but uh, let's. we have a big week in TV and a, a nice, sizable DVD shelf, so we should probably get into things here. And uh, let's kick off our week in TV with Tuesday and the So You Think You Can Dance finale. We had the performance finale last week. This was basically a two-hour extravaganza in which they uh, released the results at the very end. I actually thought this was pretty cool uh, because of the way that they structured it. There was some ridiculous stuff, particularly they brought on Dragon House. I have no idea who or what you're referring to. Okay, so Cyrus, he and his roommates are part of this dance crew or whatever called Dragon House. And all, but they all made it through to Vegas. They all auditioned. They're all amazing. And so that was their number one audition moment or whatever was the Dragon House auditions. Um, but instead of just showing that, they brought them on and they nice. did a separate number. And it was amazing. It was so cool. I highly recommend checking it out on YouTube. I assume it's up somewhere. And then there was also an original hip hop number with, uh, with Twitch and Comfort, who are the all-stars, who were badass. Comfort was rocking it. She was the best of all of them, I think. And then also Cyrus and then Christopher Scott, who's the guy who choreographs all their big hip-hop numbers and is ridiculously good. Um, so, yeah, that was a lot of fun. It, it was it was a fun show. They did get, you know, that's how you do a results show. They didn't, like, tease the results over the course of the entire two hours. They basically said, yeah, we'll get there, but for now, we're just going to have a party. Nice. I, you didn't check it out. I did. I had so much fun with So You Think You Can Dance this season, and I look forward to watching it next year. I want, like, Adult Swim-style reality shows that are 15 <laughs> minutes long. Can we do that, America? Well, that could can just we? be one dance performance per week, basically. No, no, no. Everyone gets to perform, but for five seconds each. Yeah. It would be really, really impressive. <laughs> Uh, there's an idea here, producers. Come on. Somewhere. Somewhere in there. In that kernel. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to our next uh, show, though, and that's Parenthood Left Field. What did you think of this one? It's funny because listening to the underscoring last week, which was the first episode of Parenthood I ever watched, I kept thinking to myself, so on Friday Night Lights, all the underscoring is either explosions in the sky or people who sound very much like them. And I, for Parenthood, it's the model is clearly Iron and Wine, which is a Sam Beam's ongoing musical project and then at the end of this episode we actually got an iron and wine song proving that i was correct <laughs> which uh so uh, uh humble brag i guess but um yeah i i'm 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 struggling with parenthood because it has some material that i really really enjoy other stuff that i find that i wonder why i'm watching it and then other there's this third segment where it gets much schmaltzier than I'm prepared for, especially compared to Friday Night Lights, which, you know, obviously we're talking about later on the show in our DVD shelf segment. And that last sequence, which employs the Iron and Wine song, which is very, very blatant in its in its themes, in you know, in concert with what we're watching. And it it's so it's so close to not working. It's so close to just being way too much. But damn it, damn it if I wasn't kinda getting dusty. <laughs> In the in those last moments. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that was one where, uh, of all the the screeners that I've gotten to see this year, that was the one that had a note of, in front of it saying, "Please don't tell people what happens at the end. Please, <laughs> we want it to be right. a surprise." Uh, and apparently, much of the season is going to be based around you know what happens. For those who haven't well, seen I would it yet, you know, so. we're going to leave it somewhat vague. Uh, but uh, yeah, I and and I wonder, you know, in talking with with stuff about about Friday Night Lights, which, like as you said, is going to be at the end of the show. I had to think watching Parenthood. 
I don't, I mean, I don't, I could be wrong. I'll have to investigate this further. I don't think they shoot Parenthood the way that they did Friday Night Lights. And I'm wondering if that's part of it. Because I also, I do feel that disconnect. I don't think it works as well as Friday Night Lights. And I don't know if it's just as, you know, this is a really good cast, but I don't know if it's maybe that just they don't have that quite, you know, quite that alchemy that, that the, of the specific people at Friday, at Friday Night Lights does. Or I don't know exactly what it is, or maybe it's because I don't think they shoot the same way, and so you don't have that immediacy. But while it, it is a really good show, and I look forward to watching the rest of it, um, and, and we have another autistic character who actually feels like an autistic character, though I still think Gary's more, you know, more of, at least more accurate to what I'm familiar with. Uh, Gary on Elphis, of course. Uh, it still just doesn't quite reach that that mm-hmm. Friday Night Lights level for me. I'm, what do you think? I think the difference for me, I was thinking about this very same thing watching this episode. The The way people deliver dialogue, talk over each other, uh, and seem to have these candid moments suggests that there is some similarity. And we were talking, we talk in the Friday Night Lights thing about how certain people caught on to the style and some people don't. What What I picked up on in this episode is Peter Krause is clearly a great fit with with Kadem's like he he to me is the sort of the most natural maybe it's just that he's you know the most experienced tv actor in the bunch or pretty close to it I guess Craig T. Nelson's also been kicking around for a while Lauren Graham too uh yeah of course Lauren Graham um but the difference mainly between the two shows is that Friday Night Lights has the benefit of having football as an engine for drama and conflict and sort of metaphorical delivery device etc etc and Parenthood is just about families. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It's 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 like Friday Night Lights with one very important variable removed. Um, and I'll, and also, you know, it's got other aesthetic differences, but we'll be here all day if we talk about those. <laughs> so I'm still sort of getting used to how casual it is. And obviously the plot point that gets introduced at the end of the episode is maybe going to change that a little bit because it is it's so loaded. But uh, yeah, for, for me, the the uh, the stuff with Ray Romano and Lauren Graham was pretty obviously the best stuff in the episode. Yeah, that worked really well. I thought just if if only because it's it's nice to have someone on the show who isn't sort of part of these family units, who is sort of who is bringing external stimuli and kind of shaking things up a bit, but not in a way that's big and ridiculous and dramatic. Right. We also don't know how how much of the problem is that we haven't had three seasons to warm up to the show that's true get to know the characters (laughs) and get to know the style and the music so maybe let's let's park it let's keep thinking about it Uh uh-huh let's uh let's let's watch this space well and let's uh let's let's stop talking parenthood as much as we like it and and talk some parks and rec because it's back and i love it uh miss Miss nope goes to washington what did you think uh, anything that can make me not hate John McCain for a few seconds is probably doing its job. Uh, God, how great is it to have this back and uh, just to get to hang out with these people for another 20-some-odd episodes? Sadly, still, no one watches it, so I don't know <laughs> how likely it is that we're going to get to keep having it around. In fact, I'm sort of expecting a purge of all of NBC's good shows in four or five months. But in the meantime, we got lots and lots of Parks and Rec to look forward to, which is great. Uh, especially, you know, I, I've seen some people complain about uh, Ron sort of becoming a little bit of a caricature over time. And I do think that is a danger 
But I, th- I think the point we were supposed to take from this episode is that Ron minus Leslie <laughs> is a problem. And and I like that they know that. And the show knows it and the characters know it too. You know, Ron, like the, the notion of Ron stepping up and getting this promotion um, was something that didn't necessarily fit his character but, but, and staying in his job did. But the thing is, he doesn't, he didn't really do his job before. He, you know, he... There are certain things that he was really good at that he counterbalanced Leslie with. But with Leslie not there and April not there to be mini Leslie, which is basically what she was doing at the end of last season, he actually has to, you know, deal with people. And so I think the recognizing that and bringing that to the forefront uh, could give us a lot of potential in in this uh, this upcoming season. I also like the way the showrunners continue to mess with people's heads over the whole Ann and Tom thing. Yeah, that was great. (laughs) And I love the way it's working because it still upsets people so much. Well, I think after this, I can actually believe them as friends. Whereas even last season, I didn't believe them as friends, let alone, you know, in a relationship. So I think that's that's, that's a positive positive motion. That's positive motion. So I look forward to seeing where they go. And then any uh, other... Final things we want to mention. I guess we should. Uh, we, we mentioned John McCain. There's the rest of the the, the stunt casting uh, in Washington. Uh, yeah, Barbara Andy, Boxer. Andy's tour guide at the end was pretty great. Yes, and uh, Andy in general was just uh, Chris Pratt was killing it as mm-hmm. usual. Um, I think my my favorite bit. I don't know who was ad libbed or not. Was a uh, what country? <laughs> just right, right before the credits. I think that that got me the most. He just. He plays Dim so, so well. well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of uh, playing Dim, let's talk about uh, Children's Hospital UK, British Hospital, and a certain mime repla- stepping in for the uh, clown. What did you think? Right, yes. Just just to be clear, Children's Hospital took a week off and was replaced by Children's Hospital UK. The episode was called British Hospital, just in case there's any confusion uh, you know, it, when the episode started, I was I obviously job number one was immediately try to identify everyone, uh-huh. which I couldn't. I, I don't I don't watch enough British TV to be able to identify anyone. Some bits of casting surprised me, like Maggie uh-huh. from The Walking Dead was there, who I guess grew up in Britain. I don't think she's technically British, but so that was surprising. Um, I was trying to the, the the next thing I had to figure out was who is on the who's on the intercom, and my first guess was. Okay, that's Rob Brydon doing his Michael Caine impression. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Then it turns out it was Peter Serafinowicz doing his Michael Caine impression, <laughs> which was which was almost as good, almost better. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, this this was a lot of fun. I'm I'm really hoping it's something they do more than once because it doesn't seem like they're nearly done making fun of British people. Oh no, it was it was hilarious. It was great. Uh, I think I actually liked it better than Parks and Rec. Maybe I don't know. It's Ooh. it's. It was just so good. Uh, and, and also, of course, it's always helped by that shorter running time. You, they can just pack joke and joke and joke, and they don't need to worry about any sort of, you know, logic or continuity. Um, I, I was particularly impressed by Jamie Murray, who I haven't gotten to see be funny before. She usually I've, she plays crazy a lot, you know, on Spartacus, on Dexter. Um, but I haven't actually gotten to see straight up comedy from her. And so that was great. Dominic Monaghan, of course, I'm a, I'm a big fan of his from, from right, Lost yeah. and, and those Hobbit movies. Time. But yeah, no, this was an entire cast of, oh, that guy, uh, for me. And it was, it was so much fun. So I absolutely agree. I hope we get more Children's Hospital UK in, in the future. 
And did did they they filmed it in Britain? Yes. I don't know, but that would make sense considering it was an all uh, British cast and crew and. Writer, and writer, I, I noticed it was written by Sam Bain, who I think is one of the main Peep Show guys. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they they really went all out on this one. <laughs> um, let's let's move on though. Unless you have anything else. No, I was uh, this. Th- it lived up to our hopes, I think. Which and is all and they were high. I think they we were can. High. They were high. Yeah. Another one that lived up to 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 what seemed to be an entertaining teaser was NTSFSDSUV and Robot Town. I am so impressed with them for keeping their stunt casting under wraps, you know, not using them in the trailer, but uh, both Rob Corddry and Bob Odenkirk were great in this and so much fun, and uh, I didn't expect them, so that made it all the more entertaining. What did you think? Yeah. Well, Rob Corddry almost feels like cheating, but it's funny <laughs> because he get to, he got to not be on Children's Hospital this week, so, oh, I have to be on something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, give me uh, give me NTSF. Yeah, this was fun. I, di- I didn't... Like based on the fact that it was called Robot Town and featured lots of robots, including a fi- including a fire hydrant robot, it it, it wasn't it, it wasn't quite as good to me as say you know Time Angels from a couple weeks ago, <laughs> but uh, it was definitely definitely fun. Anything that allows for lots of robot gags is is great. Uh, and we were talking about people who are good at playing dim. June Raphael is 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 incredibly good at playing dim. She gets me every time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she's uh, she's pretty great, and uh, just the, the the interplay between the two of them I, is is so fabulous on this show. They've really built a team dynamic, and I like that this episode also we got a lot more Martin Starr. We got uh, we got more of our other bit characters that sometimes get the week off. So it was nice to see them, and uh, just that the the arc we get with SAM it was hilarious and sad. <laughs> yeah, I never even realized until this episode that that's also Peter Serafinowicz. He's just everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, well, he should be because he's hilarious and uh, needs more work. He's great. Uh, so I think this is probably only the second time this season where we would say Children's Hospital UK was actually better than NTSF. Uh, the previous uh, yeah. one being the behind the scenes. Yes, uh, which again just goes to prove my whole thesis that more high concept is better for them. Yeah. So hopefully we'll get some more of that in the rest uh, throughout the rest of the season. But for now, let's talk about the awkward se- uh, season two finale, The Other Shoe. And after an interminable amount of stretching, uh, we've got our answer to the Team Jake and Team Maddie conversation. And luckily, it was fairly angst-free. Yeah, well, they skipped over the angst, which was nice. But it still, it, since I watched last week's episode, I figured, hey, I'll watch the finale, because why not? I got 22 minutes. And... Yeah, I this didn't really make me anxious to a rewatch anything I missed or b you know start the countdown to season three because I don't know nothing nothing about the way the show teased the future in this episode was tempting to me at all. If anything, it made me more hesitant about season three because it took you know, were I was hopeful that you know finally this love triangle thing would be over and they would get go back in some way at least to some extent to their season one focus which was much more on jenna and the high school experience and much less on boys and feelings um so right. this you know what we got in this episode with the you know jake and tamara thing and with all the the angst and oh did i make the right choice i'm not dancing it, it just it really <laughs> Just while Jenna and her mom, that scene with them is is lovely in this episode, really. It's great to see her be human again. Um, It just it shows a direction for the for the series that I don't care about and that I don't need to watch 
in a way that I, you know, really, really loved watching season one. Yeah. Um, well, and also it exposes the fact that Jenna's kind of a horrible protagonist some some of the time. Mm-hmm. Like, is just the way that she decides on Maddie, but then she sees Jake kissing Tamara, and she's just, and she's just like a deer in headlights. Just, uh, yeah. why are we? Why are you making us watch this character be like this? It's really annoying. Well, and yes, teenagers can be like that a lot of the time, but I don't watch shows about a lot of teenagers because mm-hmm. that's not interesting to me. I watch shows about the strange fringe percentile that are actually interesting. Yeah. It's it's not an encouraging direction, for sure. The, one of the big comparisons we've made in the past uh, year, I would say, of the Televerse is as awkward and suburgatory, because mm-hmm. they're in some ways very similar with somewhat similar lead performances. The way that Awkward ended, I am much more interested in Suburgatory Season 2 than I am Awkward Season 3. And I wouldn't have anticipated, I agree with you, and I wouldn't have anticipated that because yeah, to me, me Awkward Season... To me, Awkward Season 1 is several percentiles above Suburgatory yeah. Season 1. Yeah, definitely. So, but, I, but, but on the other hand, I feel like Suburgatory has room to improve, whereas Awkward didn't, so... <laughs> yeah, and well, and let's take that opportunity, that, that segue, Room to Improve, Wilfred Season 2 finale, Secrets, that's got to be one of the most improved, right? At least I haven't seen Season 1, but based on what you were saying... It's it's not leaps and bounds, but it's definitely a noticeable improvement. What I love, one of the things I love about Wilfred is I feel like with this season, they, they've started a tradition that whenever they do a season finale, it's super heavy on the mythology, usually adding some new wrinkles, and it features at least one overt parody of another show uh, or, or, uh, or clear reference drop. Last season, we got an excellent Lost gag. And c- complete with the presence of Richard Alpert, which was better. <laughs> um, and this this week, I loved the the very shaggy Battlestar Galactica joke. Yeah, that seemed to go on for seven minutes. It was great. Um, I don't know. I I always had this conflict with Wilfred, where whenever they add something like they do this week with with Ryan's discovering that he drew Wilfred as a kid, I, I I'm always confused as to. Do they know what they're doing with this? Or sh- and should I care? <laughs> you know, because it's not like it's not a lost situation where if I was watching it live and they would do something silly, I'd have to start fretting over whether or not we were going to get it explained or not. It's like, well, it's Wilfred, do I need to fret? Do, mm-hmm. do I should I care? And yeah. I don't know. These are the thoughts I have, but I'm also chuckling and, you know, enjoying uh, lots of warm character moments, so I don't worry about it too much at the time, but yeah, these are the sort these are the sorts of inner conflicts that Wilfred inspires. Well, and I love that they fake you out and you think you know what the reveal is when Alison Mack says that Wilfred she talks to Wilfred too. You're like, Oh, right. that's what they're gonna do and then they don't, and it's awesome. And that was such a great way to to wind up that season arc, that that relationship with Amanda and really put a bow on it and, you know, also put a bow on the yes he talks to a dog that's usually a sign of massive crazy right well and i like the idea that he it's it's not really it's not really mentioned but he's kind of crazy and he attracts another crazy person without realizing it Mm -hmm. which uh which makes some sense i i actually found the the end of the episode kind of moving which i wasn't really expecting with yeah you know ryan kind of losing everything and yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm always surprised at how affecting the show can be when it wants to be. 
Yeah, and we still haven't gotten official word of a pickup. From what I from what I understand, from what Landgraf has said, and I don't have any reason to doubt him, they're just ironing out contracts. Yes, but they've been ironing out contracts for months now. That was something True. that came out after Comic Con, so I would like to get pen on paper. <laughs> when they say ironing out contracts, I assume that means ironing out Elijah Wood's contract, but. Uh, you, you you never know. I mean, the 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 depressing thing is that Louis and and Wilfred are both watched by about half a million people most mm. of the time, which is just that just hurts my heart like, <laughs> compared really? to how many people are watching certain other shows. Yes. Yeah. That, America, come on. I'm looking yeah. at you. Yep. Catch it on DVD and uh, and tune in. Assuming it's back next summer. Tune in next summer. Let's let's go over to Doctor Who though Saturday and the Power of Three. Now, I I really like this episode, and actually I haven't had a chance to watch it again. But I as soon as I finished watching it, I wanted to pop it back in and and, and rewatch it. Um, but the reason that I loved it was the character moments and the you know because of course the pawns are leaving next week. That's their final episode, and so this was an episode very much dedicated to to focusing on these two characters who have been a, such a big part of the show for the past, you know, two and a half seasons at this point and allowing the audience a chance to, to say goodbye, you know, before the, you know, the action packed finale next week, you know, which I'm so, apparently Stephen Moffat says is going to end with, all, with us all crying. So that's fun. Um, but the thing is the the actual plot of the episode, while it starts, it starts out really interesting uh, is kind of a shit show by the end and i should probably delete that kind of it it is it's it's a terrible climax in denouement at least with the actual plot of the like the the mystery driving everything so while i really enjoyed it i'm not sure what you're gonna think so well what what did you think i was actually kind of surprised that you know again my my as you mentioned my knowledge of these characters and universe is limited but i would think that you know having these characters who lead double lives that are so different and having these desires pulling in opposite directions, I was sort of surprised that it wasn't milked more mm-hmm. for pathos. Like I was, I was really anticipating some, some, some really emotional moments and they, they kind of almost get there a couple of times, but in general it kind of sticks to, well, yeah, this is all happening, but Hey, isn't this all still fun? Which I wasn't, which I was neither expecting nor particularly chuffed with, <laughs> um, to, to borrow a British expression. Uh, and you're absolutely right about the main plot. The the setup is very intriguing, and I, I, I like the follow-through with the... It, it, it seemed like a fairly realistic take on what people would do if they suddenly had black boxes everywhere. And I, li- <laughs> I, liked, I, I, liked, I really like the montage of just seeing what people are doing with them. That mm-hmm. was really nicely executed. But yeah, and then it turns out that... That it's just some guy who wants to get rid of humans. Which, like, really? But like... it's not really. You don't know anything about him. The doctor shows up. Ah, of course it's you. Wait, wait you couldn't have. Ah, of course it's you earlier. And then we get this huge expo dump. By None a of it really makes sense, and it doesn't answer really any questions. It doesn't like those two creepy orderly dudes with the like vacuum faces or whatever. Very creepy. They never come back. You don't know how they're related, if they're related. I don't. It's just, it's a huge mess, that final scene. And apparently, Stephen Burkhoff is a huge, uh, hugely respected British actor, and he's the, he's our villain in this, and he gets, like, one scene, and it's it's not very well written. No. I, I mean, the orderlies must have something to do with it, because they run back onto the ship. 
Yeah, but we never find out what those people are supposed to yeah, be no. there doing, and they don't even save them. I know our fellow Sano State contributor Michael Ryan thought that they did, but I could swear you see them on the, like, laying down there in the background when they explode the ship. Yeah, because you see, they're all laying around. They they get Rory's dad out. And then they come back, and, like, I assumed that they were supposed to get everybody, but then when they come back and talk to the doctor, you can still see the other people lying down in the background. Yeah, no, they totally get blowed up. It's like, are you kidding me? I don't know. <laughs> but, I, cause, but I don't want to focus on that, because I did really love a lot of these moments. And, and I think that's actually a really good point that you make about how it doesn't really go for the pathos. And the reason it doesn't is... Because that's that's not Amy and Rory. They're not characters to... They, they aren't angsty characters. And it's actually, after some of the previous companions who have been incredibly emotional, it's it's nice to have okay. that difference. But, of course, you don't have that context. So, for you, it right. seems strange. But, no, for... Yeah, Amy is... She's the, she's the character who, the first time she met the angels, uh, was saying... Thought she was in a trap. Turned out she wasn't. Doesn't really matter said, okay, you have to leave me here because you can't die because you have all this other stuff you need to take care of. So just go and I'm, I'm fine. I'll, you know, I'll deal with this. I chose to come along. Just, you know, she, she has a, a good head on her shoulders and she, she doesn't gear towards the melodramatic. I imagine we'll get some of that next week though. Yeah. Can I just say that the preview for next week looks ridiculous in the sense of like yeah. statues? Really? Well, I think I think you should watch if you're going to watch next week. I think you should really watch the first um, Angel two-parter with Amy. There was Blink, which you've kind of seen, and then there was an Angel two-parter. You know, for me, I was very much of the oh, don't screw it up, don't don't go back, don't go back to the well. The first one was so good, but they managed to actually pull off an Alien Aliens situation where the second two-parter is fabulous and absolutely scary and totally worth watching. Um, and so, and uh, so I would say if you're going to watch this finale, you should totally watch that one. Cause that'll give you context, but no, I'm terrified. It does not look good. No, I mean, just the whole notion of, I mean, we're going to get to the episode next week, but the whole notion of statues move when you're not looking at them. Like, Oh, really? Oh, it's amazing. Oh, the weeping angels, that part of it's awesome. Oh, but so what, what don't you like? I don't like the, well, okay. I don't want to say one of the things at the end of the Canadian trailer, there's a certain statue that has moved that had me groaning. Um, also, I don't like that they're in, they've introduced cherubs now. I don't know. I'm just I'm afraid because I really like Blink. I think Blink is amazing, and I love the the two parter as well. I also think that's just as good. I'm every time they they're tempted to go back to the well. I just I don't. I'm already astounded that they pulled it off for a second time. I don't know that I think they can pull it off for a third time. Well, just remember Alien 3 is all I have to say. Yeah, so we'll see. You know, in Moff we trust, right? He's uh, he's done a good job so far, and it makes sense for Amy and Rory uh, to go out with the Weeping Angels. But I'm still scared. So we'll see. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about The Thick of It, though. That's the next show. That's also on Saturday. Episode 3 took us back to... What is the so it's the opposition? The Lib Dems. We're 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 with the Lib Dems this week. The Lib Dems, yes. Uh, what did you think? Uh, this ruled. Uh, first <laughs> of all, the actually I think my favorite scene of any show this week was Mannion finally flipping out on his 
on his sort of feel-good guru handler. Just, I loved I, it. I needed that to be like 10 times longer. I could have done that for a whole episode. I, I love the way they've been building up to that, actually since even before this season began. Uh, just, that was fantastic. Um, yeah, I, 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 we're finally, we finally get some rising action this week with the uh, suicide of Tickle, mm. or Tickle, as they call him. And um, I think that's fantastic. I'm, I'm really, I'm very curious to see how everything kind of dovetails over the next few episodes. Uh, but yeah, mostly there's not much to say because this was just really, 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 really funny. I, I didn't like it as much as you did, but I did think it was pretty great. The, uh, the fact that the culmination, like what, the thing that that pushed Mannion over the edge was the the brilliant brainstormed idea of let's get rid of computers. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that that was his brain, you know, not like the free everything for everyone. You know what? He was willing to deal with that level of a hippie bullshit, but he wasn't willing to deal with, we don't need computers. That's stupid. Oh, I loved it. It was great. Oh man. Yeah. That, that whole, that whole scene, you know, and then, then of course the fact that the, the the dick can't help but yell at the the receptionist who comes in you know giving them the message that they so desperately need to get and it was yeah it was it was a good it was a really good episode i like that we actually saw some competence and humanity at some level from a couple of the people um i don't know the character names unfortunately the the guy who actually was you know you know a person's dead here maybe we should stop being vultures for two seconds oh yeah that was glenn i think yeah, yeah, Glenn. It was nice to see, you know, and then his just the fact that his anger was still there throughout the rest of the episode. That you know, it was yeah. it was it was great. I, I more people need to be watching the thick of it. We say it every week, but it's still true. Yeah, it's on Hulu, guys. It doesn't really get any easier. Yeah, Hulu. Let's move on though to Sunday and the Emmys. I don't really have that much to say, but I figured we should touch on it. Um, all, pretty much every, you know, it was just sweeps. Modern Family swept. Game Change swept, which means American uh, American Horror Story didn't, which is nice. Um, and uh, Homeland and then Variety was kind of split up between a couple different shows. But, uh, but yeah, what did you think? What were your highlights? Hey, Downton Abbey and American Horror Story got screwed, so I'm happy. And, you know, Homeland isn't, isn't necessarily a better show than the ones that it beat but it i'm isn't. always happy okay i'm being charitable here it's but... a really good show it's a great show it's just not better than breaking bad well and but, but to be clear because i always forget how the emmys work is this mostly mad men season four this is we're... no this is breaking bad season four mad men season five okay because i would have been annoyed with I, I was annoyed when mad men won last year because season four wasn't a fantastic season through and through whereas i would have been happy with it winning again this year because it had a better season even if again i wasn't totally pleased with it i, I you know i'm just happy with, that with with homeland taking stuff because it's something new and it's great and it deserves to win stuff and i'm i'm also glad that claire danes got another statue because she's great i finally I actually this is her f oh temple grandin you're right this yeah is she also second. won for temple grandin yeah. um I, I i made sure to watch the only three seconds of the award show that mattered <laughs> and did and did catch her saying uh, Mandy Patinkin holla, which was great. Uh, yeah. It's too bad he wasn't also up there because he's at least as good. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and it was nice. Um, and Damian Lewis winning that really is his first time, so good mm -hmm. for him. He's 
awesome. Well, and he's been putting in great performances for a long time. I look forward to us talking about life at some point and Band of Brothers at some point in the DVD shelf. We'll get to yeah. uh, heap more praise upon him. Uh, I would say, I, first of all, I really enjoyed the opening bit with all the uh, the actresses in the in the waiting room. I don't, I don't know if you saw that, but it was it was I thought it was pretty fun. And just the the whole Lena Dunham thing worked very well for me in that. Mm-hmm. Then there was uh, the Modern Family gag with Lily being crazy was t- it really wasn't funny. It went on way too long. Um and I couldn't believe they were playing people off the stage. Like they literally, I think it was the the Modern Family guy or maybe it was Homeland, one of the final awards of the night. The guy specifically said, "And most of all, we need to thank and they cut him off." <laughs> like, Ouch. But they had time to do the that completely not funny Tracy Morgan thing and also the uh the, the thing with Jimmy uh Kimball's parents it just yeah they did a poor job because it was clear at some point that they were ahead and so they asked like John Stewart and some of these other people to stretch a little bit for time um and so then to to then get to the end and to cut people off when there were still like two or three minutes before the end of the hour so for a show that goes over the hour frequently couldn't they have just run the credits a little slower or something? I, it's just, I don't know. It's it. There were some things that worked, but uh, it was uh, all in all, though I was impre- appreciated how, how quickly and smoothly the beginning of the show went when they got ahead, the fact that they didn't just let people talk to catch up time, but put all these stupid bits. Yeah. I don't know. Well, well I, I still have nightmares about the old Oscar telecasts of like the late 90s, early zeros when they were like three and a half, four hours long. Yeah, very long. I used to stay up to watch all of them for no good reason. (laughs) But, um, oh, and hey, Louis C.K. got a couple Emmys, which... That's good. We'll take it. Yeah. Wasn't not the ones that we wanted, maybe, but... But still, and and Amy Poehler didn't get any Emmys, but she got the biggest laugh of the night with her pre-planned bit with Julia (laughs) Louis-Dreyfus. That was uh, pretty great. Excellent. Let's move on, though, to our other Sunday programming, including the Treme season three premiere, Knock With Me, Rock With Me. What did you think of uh, this? Well, just to be clear, I watched Treme season one live while it was airing, and then I didn't watch season two, and now I'm watching season three. So I've got a I've got a 10 episode, a 10 hour gap in the middle, and I'm still getting caught up with these characters again. What happened to me in the interim between Treme Season 1 and Treme Season 3 is I watched a whole lot of other television, as you may recall from the other 54 episodes of the Televerse. <laughs> and watching a whole lot of other television has given me a new appreciation for Treme. I yeah. think, um, you know, this is such a sprawling show with like three dozen characters, just something ridiculous like that. And clearly not every one of those characters, every one of those situations Every one of those conflicts is going to be massively interesting to me. In particular, I don't know why we're still following Sonny around. Mm-hmm. Just, whatever, I don't, I don't get it. And also, Davis and his tour at the end of the episode—it's got a couple of chuckles in it, but it still—it's it, the show still has these David Simon writing an editorial moments that really bother me, and that was very clearly one of them. But uh, overall, I mean, it's just so great to see all this live music and to have all these amazing character actors in one place and just to watch them do their stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it's it's interesting because, of course, I caught up with season one and two of, of Treme only recently. Um, but I think the show feels almost exactly the same 
season to season. So one to two to three, at least the little bit we have of three so far. Perhaps, you know, certain characters are expanded, certain characters we gain or we lose. But I still think this is exactly the show that David Simon wants it to be. And I enjoy watching it. Uh, my favorite things, I have to say, I love Davis and his quest to write a jazz opera. I oh, I love that. <laughs> I, 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 I knew immediately. I, I always have these Kate recognition moments where I'm like, oh, she's uh-huh. going to love that. When he was like, I'm going to make Puccini my bitch. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. He's just such a fun character. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's always, it's nice. To, uh, there's always a tricky thing with Davis where you don't want him to be like another triumphant nerd because those characters can be really irritating, but, but it, he's so Zahn is so fun in the role and it's just, he's just such a winning character that you, you can't begrudge them that. Um, and also, you know, I'm a former DJ, so I have to like him, but um, (laughs) yeah, uh, obviously the candy Alexander stuff is great because she's candy Alexander and she rules. Uh, Mm -hmm. Same with Melissa Leo, same with David Morris. Uh, You know, you can't really, to go wrong and obviously wendell pierce mm-hmm. is just killing it everywhere like he he has a few different plot strains in this episode and some of them are very casual you know they, they kind of seem like they're going somewhere heavy and then they don't and it doesn't matter because he's wendell motherfucking pierce <laughs> yeah this is it's just this is a show that i'm glad is on tv and i know very few people watch it but i think anybody who tunes in what you want, you know, one, what you get from one episode is pretty much what the show is. Like, I think anybody who watched this premiere who didn't like it probably isn't going to like the show in general. Um, but for those of us who do like it, who do get it, I think it's just so much fun to have. You know, it's such such a different show than anything else that we have on television right now. And, uh, yeah, maybe, of course, that's also the violin bias talking. Lovely to have an actual violinist being amazing on television. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm so glad. Of course, it just got picked up for season four for an abbreviated, like, four to six episode kind of season four, but... I could see that working for them. Yeah, it's astonishing that it got picked up for season two, let alone season three, let alone season four. It's, it's astonishing it got made, period. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, you are, you just, you just mentioned, uh, Lucia Micarelli, who plays Annie, who I think I, I don't think I've seen her sing before. Like she no, that's was new. In this, which that ruled. She was just so fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's you know, this is a show about music. Can you think of another show about musicians that feels accurate? Like compare this to Smash. Yeah, no. There's no there's no comparison. I I, I mean, it it was an easy line, but I I had to laugh out loud near the end of the episode when Wendell Pierce says, "I'm not a grown-up, I'm a musician." <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it, oh. I I I loved that. Now for something completely different, though it also has music. Let's talk about The Voice. I continue to watch The Voice, even though I get home so late on Monday from work, but uh, it's a two-hour show. I do lots of fast-forwarding, but uh, I'm still enjoying this season. I think there are a lot of really great singers. There's some good singers that aren't even getting a, a chair turned for them. And then every now and again, there's one where you're just kind of confused as to how that happened. So I imagine that has to do with the the live experience. Um there are a couple people who were getting way too much praise and a couple people who weren't getting nearly enough. So we'll see what happens when uh, we get into the battle rounds and all of that. But right now, at least, I think pretty much everybody has two to four spaces left. So I think this has to be the last week uh, of 
of blind auditions and then we'll start getting into the more the meat of the of the season but i still like the voice i i made time for two hours of the voice i did not make time for 20 minutes or half an hour with commercials of how i met your mother how was the premiere far hampton uh, it wasn't good i don't want to spend much time on it but you know uh it's you know they honestly they're just too addicted to just spooning out little details about the mother this week we find out where they met like really and that she has a guitar yeah, we already I, I knew, she... we knew that before yeah. oh there we go we knew that so yeah i forgot so yeah we found that out good for you uh that's it that's all i have to say okay continuing the tradition perhaps uh is was the partner's pilot the key which is also not good very bad uh Woo. which was worse Oh, Partners was where I actually, I mean, How I Met Your Mother had some vague chuckles here and there, but I, I actually had to stop. I had to bail on this midway through, and it was only a 19-minute pilot. Yeah. You, you know, there's a, I don't know, I almost feel, I feel bad when a show is innocuous and terrible, as opposed to when it's offensive and terrible. This is innocuous and terrible. It's very well-meaning and, you know, amiable, I guess, but God, is it unfunny and stilted and just painful to watch i don't know i don't know simon racial and gender stereotyping is funny yeah but you know like there are stereotypes but they're not they're not as malicious as they are on some other sitcoms i don't know there's two kids they're both about 10 years old and uh one of them is obsessed with color i wonder who the gay kid is i i mean come on make no mistake it's a stupid show that's terribly conceived and poorly executed, but there's a difference between something like this and Work It, which was, you know, actively noxious in its stereotyping. This is just kind of dumb and ill-conceived. I was, uh, I was not, I wouldn't say offended, because we'll get there when we get to the mid-season replacements, but I, I was, I, I did think this was much more, uh, I guess, offensive, even if I wasn't quite to the level of offended. Mm -hmm. I thought it was more offensive than you did, clearly. Uh, I had a lot of trouble with just the stereotyping of, of much of the main cast. I was honestly much more offended by it on a quality level than on anything to do with the actual content. Like, that that to me, just the fact yeah. that it was so unfunny that Brandon Routh is slumming it so hard. Yeah. Let's stop talking about it. Yep. Yeah, let's talk about Alphas instead, because it was awesome. The, the devil will drag you under. Uh, we had... What what are you know? Dan is covering Alphas for us right now. He says this was the best episode of the season, if not the series. What did you think? Oh, that's definitely not true at all. Not even close. <laughs> uh, I could, there there were even some season one episodes that were better. Dan, what's wrong with you? Um, yeah, this episode had one major hitch, and maybe you can correct me on it, but I, it didn't really make much sense to me. I don't get why Rosen keeps his plot a secret from everyone. I th Except to build tension for later. I think the general idea is that uh, they, you know, the, the fewer people know, the harder it's going to be for it to get out. And I, you know, I believe that, especially when they're worried about moles and stuff within the operation. Especially with I somebody mean, like all, Gary, you wouldn't want Gary knowing a secret because maybe he'll yeah, but it, be really great <sighs> keeping it. Maybe he won't. I'm I'm having difficulty just accepting that because I mean I like the Gary thing is 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 I get it but they're supposed to be a team and they've been a, they've been a team for two whole seasons and they 
can't trust each other with basic stuff like this. I don't know. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I I thought that it was pretty obvious that uh, of what was going on. Like it didn't seem like a twist when we found out that Hicks was working in collaboration with Rosen. Um, so maybe that was just maybe that affected my reaction to it. I didn't feel like it was supposed to be a surprise. So maybe they just you know, failed to execute on a massive level that yeah. element of the of the plot if that's what they were going for. I was, however, amazed that a more or less Hicks-centric episode did manage to actually be good, because, to my mind, he's by far the least interesting of the alphas. I was actually really hoping they were going to kill him. <laughs> oh. Just because I thought it wouldn't... Like, I like the character, I like the actor. I just... I I would have been very uh, surprised, and I would have to compliment their cojones if they actually did kill him off. Uh, yeah. I think well, that's we, one of the we... things that they need to do this year, to avoid... Uh, heroes, um, heroesitis, I guess. Yeah. Well, we did get one character death this week, which I was, God, I was so worried that Nino was actually going to successfully push Danny <laughs> into not dying. Oh my God. If that had happened, I think I would have thrown something at my screen. So props to them for that not working. I did think that scene went on too long. Like yeah. He took too long to die. It was, they were really milking that, but they went through with it, which is something Alphas is good at, so good for them. Yeah. Let's move on, though, and I'm going to talk briefly about the Castle premiere. I know there are a lot of Castle fans out there. Uh, I'm one of the more lapsed fans. I check in here and there, and I usually have fun. That was the case this week as well. This was after the storm. Of course, at the end of last season, Castle and, and Beckett got together, and that uh, I think it'll be entertaining to watch that play out for the next several weeks um, and episodes. The uh, I, I like that they have finally just point blank solved Beckett's murder. They know who did it. They know why they have all the information. So the show doesn't look like they're actually going to pull that out for much longer, stretch it out for much longer. There's a bit of a detente. I'm sure at some point they're going to find a way to catch the person, but now they know and they can stop referring to it all the time as the center of angst for Beckett. So I look forward to, uh, to checking in with this, you know, as we go, as it continues and having, having a bit of fun. Um, and now, now let's talk about our final show of the week, Revolution Chained Heat. We liked the pilot. I would say it seems to me more than a lot of other places did. What did you think of episode two? You know, I think this episode just reinforces the fact that most people who have written and talked about Revolution, I think I spent a little bit too much time nitpicking the premise and the world mm -hmm. building and not quite enough time appreciating that we have a pretty solid ensemble, which is something that I haven't seen in a new drama yet this season. Well, except for Last Resort, obviously. But, you know, we haven't gotten there yet, officially. I, I really, I thought this was a little bit better than the pilot, actually, which is, which is tricky. Mm -hmm. uh, second episodes are just as hard, if not harder, than pilots. And um, they, I think the nicest thing for me is I feel like they did a lot of work on Charlie this week and making her actually... Uh, fun, if not fun to watch just yet, at least sympathetic, and uh, she makes they they give her some nice character beats. Especially, I think probably she gets one of the best moments of the entire episodes when she snaps at uh, at the other characters in the scene, saying, "Uh, so there are slaves there. Am I the only one who cares about this?" <laughs> yeah, that was absolutely a great character beat, and it does a good you know because they the trouble with Charlie is that. Uh, one of the troubles with a character like Charlie, I should say, is that it's very easy for, for them to get utterly obnoxious because they're kind of there to make mistakes and screw things up so that the action hero can 
fix it. <laughs> right. We're there to get the, the group into trouble so that we can have an, a fight scene, which there are a bunch of fight scenes this week and they're all pretty great. I think they're not quite, they do not, they don't have the spectacle of the one from the, the pilot, but I think they're all solid. Um, and so I think have, adding that dynamic to the show can only improve it. And this is going to be a show that is going to succeed or fail based on its characters and its performances more than anything else. And yes, you have Giancarlo Esposito being amazing yet again, and they, he gets way more screen time this week, and that was a smart decision. But I think even a small, small thing like Charlie doesn't have makeup on, at least visibly. She's made up to look like she doesn't have makeup, whereas in the pilot... Right. She did. <laughs> you know, she looked way too pretty, way too clean. And yes, everybody still looks pretty and clean. But it's a step in the right direction. Um, and so I, I'm cautiously optimistic this right. week. And we get the appearance of Elizabeth Mitchell in the present. Which yeah. everyone should have seen coming. Well, and I'm glad they stopped pretending about that, too. I was also actually surprised. We got a flashback, and I was like, oh, God, we're getting a flashback. But it actually worked. It was good, yeah. And it, it, it gave us information we we uh, you know it, we, we wanted or needed about the character, but also it just let us see more of Elizabeth Mitchell, and who's great. And she's really strong in, in those flashback scenes. And then we also got more of uh, the, the, the dad character who was killed off in, in the pilot. I remember we watched it and went, oh, we like that guy. It's too bad he got killed off. So apparently he's going to pop up here and there in flashbacks. So I'm good with that. Yep. I, th I think the, the main thing is I'm still not all that taken with the whole, you know, rebel plot, you know, secret electricity havers, et cetera, et cetera thing. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit Star Wars for me, but, you know, we'll we'll see where it's going. Yep. Oh, and we added David Mounier this week, who got almost nothing to do, but hopefully we'll get <laughs> something to do later. Yeah, and uh, I gotta, I we we, we praise Giancarlo Esposito a lot in the pilot. Billy Burke is really good in this too. They yep. they yeah. they done good casting him. Yeah, his character's not as fun, obviously, but he's uh, he's he's working on it. And and uh, Nora could be an interesting addition. We'll we'll see. I haven't yeah. decided on her yet. <laughs> So that wraps up our week in TV. Now we're going to take a little bit of a break, listen to some music, and come back with uh, our spotlight on Louis Late Show Part 3. That was the theme to Rocky, uh, which was not featured in anything this week, but was thematically featured, I think we can agree, in Louis Late Show Part 3. We, we've loved the you know Part 1 and Part 2, the David Lynchified Part 2, and, uh, and this week we got the finale. Simon, it's in our spotlight. Clearly, we thought it was good, but did Part 3 live up to your expectations based on Part 1 and 2? Absolutely. Uh, you know, in the AV Club review of this episode, they mentioned that FX really should have found a way to do this all in one night. And I kind of have to agree with that because after this aired, later that night at like two in the morning or something ridiculous, I actually queued up all three episodes and watched them together. And they really do work fantastically as a piece. They're basically three 20-minute segments of a 60-minute idea. And yeah, this 
it this has such a great payoff for for the whole concept what's really what's really really impressive about this episode maybe more than anything else is when at the end of the first episode Gary Marshall says David Letterman is retiring would you like the job it sounds like the most ridiculous idea in the universe I mean awesome also but completely ridiculous what's amazing is when you actually get to the test show and Louis is doing his thing, and he's getting to be more or less himself, but still being a late-night host or a prospective late-night host, it actually really totally works. And I would watch that show a lot. <laughs> and I would, and, and, you know, that, that, that would be a cool world to live in. And you know he's not going to get the job, because the, even with the way Louis does things, I can't imagine how it would continue like that. Yeah, Louis's not going to become the Larry Sanders Show Part Two. No, I mean it would be cool, but it yeah, that's a I, different show. Yeah, um, so you know, you know that's not going to happen, and you know they've got to find a way for it not to happen that makes sense, which they do, and um, and yeah, I mean, th if I have one qualm with the episode is that this was one of the few times in Louis history where some of the music cues were a little bit much mm -hmm. for me. Um, the, the sort of theme that crops up when he's talking to his daughters, but that's such a great scene that it kind of didn't bother me. Cause sort of like with the end of parenthood this week where I, I'm recognizing that it's too much, but I'm not really minding. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I can feel two things at once. Um, but uh, yeah, this was just, somebody used the word inspiring to describe it. And that was actually a weirdly appropriate descriptor, which is again, not a descriptor you associate with Louis, but you know, it is a, it's got layers. <laughs> yeah, I was glad to see um, uh, David Lynch back this week in in the exact same role, but the, obviously the episode didn't have that that Lynchian tone that it did last week. So it was, I think, it was a smart bit of continuity to make it feel more of a piece um, to to have him still be there and not have it be as episodic as if he hadn't been. I think the uh, the, the final <laughs> interview with Paul Rudd and 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 uh, Susan Sarandon, Susan Sarandon was yeah. hilarious and great. And, you know, I got a very strong, it reminded me very much of uh, WTF with Mark Maron, like that sort of dynamic. And I could mm -hmm. see that, you know, working too. It, it just, it made sense in, uh, in a great way. And, you know, who knows down the line, I could see him hosting a, a, a talk show on cable or something. If he decides he wants to, I don't think he will, but you know, I'll, I'd watch it just like you had. I'd, I'd totally watch it. Um, and, yeah, there were a couple of scenes that uh, that particularly stood out. I loved the, of course, you already mentioned the scene with the daughters, and uh, just a little bit of again bringing Gary Marshall back for that thirty seconds. Uh, I think mm -hmm. was again important to to piece it all together, um, and I think this was exactly the finale that this three parter needed to be, as far as. You know, is it as funny or is, you know, have, does it have the standout moments that the first two parts have? For me, no. But it works so well at, you know, putting the whole thing together and, fill, you know, finishing out the story and giving us our character development for, for Louie. And one of the things they say over at Battleship Pretension that I really, really enjoy and agree with is the notion that in film, a lot of the time, what a movie's about is the way that it ends. And I think that that applies to here uh, as well. So I think just the way that it ends, though it's not as laugh out loud funny, though it's not as, as, um, as moving maybe, uh, as that, that, 
that great opening scene with um with Louis and his ex wife that we got in the first uh and no, was that the second week? Second episode. The second episode. Um just the that sequence of him yelling at Letterman, you know, it was mm-hmm. was great. And it showed us I know you've been unhappy somewhat about Louis as a overly beleaguered person this season and it gave us that note of triumph that I think we needed. And so now more than anything, I'm curious to see how the season's going to end. Yeah, I know some things about it that I'm going to shut up about, but I'm definitely curious to see what the things that I know entail. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we got two straight weeks of him being a total sad sack, and part of this episode too. And it got to be a bit much, but it did it did have a nice tension and release aspect where when he does step up, uh, it's just, uh, it's a thing of beauty. And I, and I you know, I, again, when we're talking about the meanings being ascribed to endings, I love the credit scene being him keeping up on boxing. Yeah. And uh, which I think some people were confused about because they thought maybe it was another flashback. But no, very clearly from the way it's edited, it's happening afterwards. Mm-hmm. Well, and, so, it, and uh, it shows yeah. us that it wasn't just a, a discreet moment, you know, of, of triumph and then him backsliding. I think that was an important yeah. thing as well to show that he has made turned a corner personally in his outlook and uh, – and and what he sees for himself in the future. And I think that's, that's really key. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I was very, very, very pleased with the way this, this ended. It, and if it had ended badly, I think it would have crippled the season mm-hmm. in a serious way, which I wouldn't have expected, but it's true. Like if this had ended up being a lark that didn't go anywhere, I think it would have uh, really punched a hole in this last bit of the season. So I'm glad it, he pulled it off. And actually, even though this wasn't necessarily as funny as maybe last week, I did think it had my favorite line from Lynch's Jack Doll character, which was, Champ! It's short for champion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, David that, Lynch. That got a good laugh out of me. Love it. Man, he needs to be doing more stuff in general. Yeah, absolutely. So a few show notes here before we uh, go to our DVD shelf with Steph Smith from Potential Cast. Um, we are, of course, up at soundonsite.org. You can find a post there for this podcast, and please leave us a comment. Uh, let us know what you thought of the week's TV or Friday Night Lights, uh, or or um, if you're going to want in on the Amazing Race pool, then uh, you can drop us a line there. What should our question of the week be, sir? How about... Finale predictions. We have a couple different finales next week uh, of a sort. We have Doctor Who finishing up its, you know, the the pawns at least leaving the show. So it's the the fall finale or whatever for that. We mm-hmm. have Louis finishing up next week. Yeah, will Louis live or die? <laughs> Not to mention we have a bunch of pilots uh, in the next week. So how about some combination of, you know, finale predictions or what uh, your predictions are for Fringe premiere. The Last Resort pilot, The um, Amazing Race starting up, Good Wife, um, uh, Bob's Burgers. A, lo- a lot of shows come back next week. So how about somewhere, combination of the two? Sound good? Sure. So let us know what you think, listeners. If you want to write us, you can email us at the uh, televerse at gmail.com. And then, of course, we're both on Twitter. I am at the televerse. You are? I'm at Sucker Howell. And then we do have two different feeds up in iTunes. One is an M4A feed that has chapter breaks, and one is an MP3 feed that does not. Depending on your technology choices, uh, one will probably work better than the other for you. And uh, you can please feel free to leave us a comment or a rating or a review there. It does help other people find the show when you do that. Or if you want to retweet us out to your followers, that would also be awesome. 
spread the word yes. on Facebook, any of that good stuff. Uh, we're always looking to to expand our listenership and uh, really uh, connect with you guys uh, and, and make this more of a two-way street, less of us talking out into the void. So uh, please feel free to drop us a line. Yes. So we are going to take a little break, listen to a clip and some music, and come back with Steph Smith from Potential Cast to talk Friday Night Lights. Give all of us gathered here tonight the strength to remember that life is so very fragile. We are all vulnerable. And we will all, at some point in our lives, fall. We will all fall. We must carry this in our hearts. That what we have is special. That it can be taken from us. And that when it is taken from us, we will be tested. We will be tested to our very souls. It is these times, it is this pain, that allows us to look inside ourselves. This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, we're talking Friday Night Lights, uh, one of my favorite shows of all time. I'm pretty excited. And here to help us talk about it is Stephanie Smith from Potential Cast. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So Friday Night Lights, uh, obviously I'm a fan. I wasn't even going to try to tiptoe around that. Uh, what what made you choose this show? Uh, well, for one thing, uh, so many things have been taken, but... <laughs> yeah, there's that. <laughs> But this, yeah, this is one of my favorite shows because um, every episode of Friday Night Lights that I watch, I'm like on the verge of crying mm-hmm. and not because it's sad, but just because my heart is so full of, I don't know, I can't explain it. It's just very inspirational and uplifting and not in a, you know, a syrupy, saccharine way. It's not... Um, manipulative and emotionally in that way it's just it's very real absolutely that's such that's the perfect way to put it that you're not crying because it's necessarily sometimes it's sad but that's not why you're crying it's it's the perfect way of putting it that your heart is just too full so you, you your body can't quite take it so you cry you let that emotion out but yeah it's such an emotional show without being sappy without without you know it always earns it it always earns the emotion and you're absolutely right. That's one of the things that makes it such a fantastic show. Uh, Simon, what uh, what do you think about Friday Night Lights? I, this is an amazing show. Friday Night Lights has this problem where it has this inverse relationship between how good it is and how good it should be, which is not at all. <laughs> you know, this it, it has the it has so many handicaps. It's a show that is uh, apparently, on the surface at least, mostly about high schoolers who are boring. 
<laughs> and it's also about football, which I don't care about, and most and a lot of other people don't care about, especially in this country. Um, I'm in Canada. You guys aren't. Anyway, <laughs> um, and it's uh, and just the, th- those things alone, and it and it's said in you know it, this is this is about high schoolers in Texas playing football ostensibly, uh, and that just sounds uh, that's many of those things are an instant turn off to many people. Uh, and those people are wrong because this show is amazing and it's about so much more than football. It's it warm is a is a very uh, good way of putting it, and real is another very good way of putting it. The main thing that separates uh, this show from others that may seem to be like it is every aspect of its execution ties into that realness from from the style of acting to the location shooting to the incredible writing that's never showy but always feels uh, very authentic and true to each character. Um, there are, with very rare exceptions, there are essentially no antagonists for the entirety of the show, which is kind of remarkable. And it's, uh, it's, it's deeply touching and um, almost never makes any egregious missteps when I say almost never, everyone already knows what I'm talking about, and I don't even need to explain it. Yeah, there, I, though I actually I'm going to have something to say about that when we get to the episodes portion, or, or I guess best season portion of the discussion. But before that, I want to talk about one of the things that you mentioned, uh, Simon, which is the shooting style of this show. Because I think for, you know, obviously those of us who are more aware, who have like followed Friday Night Lights when it was still on, and, and we're, we're kind of keeping track of... You know, is it going to get renewed? What's going on with it? We might already be aware of this, but for a lot of people just discovering the show, they probably don't know. Friday Night Lights, they, they, a lot of it was improvised. The way that they shot it, I think, is a big part of why, first of all, it, it is, like you said, it has that real authenticity to it, but also why I think, though we're going to talk about how awesome and amazing these actors are, there are quite a few of them that I haven't seen anything as good since, and I don't know if we will. So while mm-hmm. they were amazing on this show, I don't know if they'll be able to reach that level of uh, of intensity and and truth to their acting again. But the way they would shoot it is it was all on location. They would have a script that would have give them idea of what the scene needed to be, and then they would they would improvise it. And it was very much handheld uh, camera, very intimate, and so you get these. Like for me, I don't really think about best episodes so much for Friday Night Lights as much as I think about moments. You get these absolutely wonderful encapsulations of 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 emotion and of experience and I think is it has to come back to Jason Kadams who did not create the show but was the showrunner from the very beginning and and this this decision he made to film it in in such a you know more indie film sort of way as opposed to a standard TV production uh, schedule do you guys have any thoughts on that yeah i read that there was no rehearsal no uh, blocking that the cameras would just follow the actor as they went through the scene there wasn't a lot of planning. It was just mm-hmm. shoot and go. Yeah, I, that had to have been incredibly artistically freeing for these actors, especially because I remember um, every now and again hearing a little bit from Connie Britton and Kyle Chandler, who are, of course, the main couple at the center of all of the the high schoolers and later the adults, talking, especially Connie Britton, talking about 
about how freeing and how uh how fulfilling it was uh, of a character to play because she, she she's been doing she started out in sitcoms and has done any number of shows since and uh and, and so i think that 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 it has to be an important part of what makes this show so special. I mean, can you imagine no rehearsal, no blocking, you know, just go the amount of trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, Britain and Chandler and God, they're both so good. And what's, what's amazing to me is that even though the show has this improvisational quality and you know, like you mentioned, Steph, it wasn't blocked, wasn't rehearsed. It's amazing how indelible the characters are. It's it's clear that whether or not there was a re- rehearsal, it, it's it's clear that everyone involved had a very specific idea of who these people were, and grasped that for the most. You know, some characters take a little longer than others to totally find their footing, but for the most part, everyone is fully realized from the start, and the uh, that that's a credit to. Kadams for sure, as well as the actors for being so good on their feet. Yeah, I, I've said it before. I will say it again. I plan to eventually put out a best TV couples thing for Valentine's Day. And at the top of that list will be Coach and Mrs. Coach as the best couple, as the best yeah. married couple in television history. Yeah, that is such a great couple because they are so equal and they're, you know, they're, um, their uh, desires, one doesn't trump the other. They're, they work through their uh, problems with compromise and, um, you know, what their goals are. And it's very unusual to see that on television because usually in dramas, they want, you know, conflict in a marriage and everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what's, what's really amazing is the way they have this perfect balance with these characters where neither one is perfect, mm-hmm. but they never contrive any bullshit conflict between these people over five entire seasons. Every, every conflict that does arise and there's rarely anything earth shattering, but you know, every conflict that, that arises feels like something that could actually happen between these people and the way their those conflicts are resolved makes sense. And again, there, there's no, there's no feeling of, Oh, well, this has to happen so that this happens, and then we have to do this so that this other thing can. No, it's just it's the day to day life of people who feel very, very real, and that we really enjoy spending time with, and we secretly wish we're our real parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and talking about real characters, um, I when parenthood when Parenthood started, I was like, oh, a new Jason Kadams show. I'm gonna watch this, and you know, and Peter Krause and Lauren Graham, and uh, two brothers sit down and, on the hood of their car and talk about their feelings. And I immediately said, this is not the show for me because this is not the way it would happen in real life. T- brothers don't sit, men don't sit down and talk about their feelings. But on Friday Night Lights, maybe they did that and I just didn't realize it because it was so <laughs> realistic <laughs> that I bought it. Yeah. You know, it, it, there's such a great me- metaphor, of course, in, and this is, I think, why so many people particularly of the male persuasion, love sports movies. But there's such a great metaphor for conflict and male relationships in sports that you can use football to, to you know, to show people dealing with stuff. Um, and maybe that's the difference, some of the difference between Friday Night Lights and Parenthood. Now, granted, I've only seen the most recent season, but I've really liked that. Uh, maybe it took them a while to find their feet. But you could have 
you could have people uh, just sit, standing outside throwing a ball, and they instantly had a reason to be there, and they instantly were believable. And then they start talking, and it, they start out talking about football, but pretty soon they're talking about their feelings, basically. And you believe it because there is that in, there's that access point. Um, and because it is some, something that is so uh, quintessentially human, and whether it's a football in the U.S. or in other parts of the world, a soccer ball, I think that there's just an in to male relationships that you get with sports that maybe you don't get in other ways. Yeah, yeah. So. definitely having that as a hook. Um, I mean, they really, Kadem's exploits that for all it's worth. I mean, if if the football aspect of Friday Night Lights has a weakness, it's that after five seasons of watching Friday Night Lights, I still don't understand how football works. Like, <laughs> the, the, the basic, I, I learned some basic facts about the, the, the mechanics of the game and, you know, different positions, but I, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not very technical in terms of the way it deals with football, which isn't really an issue because there's so much else going on, but I think. Well, and because they give you announcers too, that helps. <laughs> yes, also that, but I, I, I feel like th there, there probably is a message board somewhere where hardcore football fans discuss what's inaccurate and, <laughs> and, and stuff like that. Thankfully, that will never concern me. Yeah, but that, uh, they filmed a certain high school, it's uh, Fuggersville or something, <laughs> uh, it, because it always drove me crazy that the P it should have been a D on their helmet. You should mm -hmm. have the name of the school's initial on your helmet, not a P, but they were filming a certain high school's uh, football games. Mm -hmm. That's in, that's what's in the show. And that's where they, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I've seen that called out as one of their biggest inaccuracies when it comes to particularly Texas football. I mean, I don't know that much about Texas football, but apparently that's like the main thing is that it should have been that D for Dylan. Yeah. You just, after about uh, two seasons, you can forget about it. But uh, After yelling at your TV for a while, you kind of, you know, give in. You can yell as much as you want. The letter is not going to change. <laughs> if only. Um, yeah, I, that's one of the things I want to talk about, though, because I think that, um, I mean, I think the football scenes work great for the most part. And it must have been a hard thing. I know that, uh, of course, Stephanie, your podcast is all about Buffy, and I know that one of the big... Uh, things that they were not fans of having to write in, in Buffy was fight scenes because they're such a pain to, they take a lot of time and they're, they're difficult to construct and they're not as particularly fun. Uh, I guess in Buffy you get quips, but most of the time, you know, you're just describing physical action. I can't imagine what it was like trying to come up with new ways to have a football game go. Yeah. Well, they, they do a fantastic job of that, especially in the first season where, which I feel like I could be wrong, but I feel like the first season maybe has the most football in it. I, I might be imagining that. I would say first or fifth, probably. But yeah. yeah. But um, they really, they find ways to change it up that that are really creative. I, especially one of the most memorable episodes, I think, of the whole series, Mud Bowl. arguably, is the Mud Bowl episode, yes. which is just so epic. And... You know, it, it it is really difficult to. I mean, I don't know how many football games are there are over the course of the entire show. Maybe maybe thirty or something ridiculous like that. But um, you know, football games really only have two possible outcomes: the team wins or the team loses. And there, you know, you can have there are details you can fill in there that you know that that alter that outcome a little bit. But those are basically your two options there. So the fact that they managed to, for the most part, avoid any monotony or 
wanton predictability, although certain things, you know, have to be predictable at certain points. This is sports. Um, it, for this for the entire run of the show is incredible. Well, and not only that, you mentioned the Mudbowl. The Mudbowl is an amazing achievement. Uh, it's such a great episode. That is one of the few episodes that I, that is distinct in my mind. Uh, but also just the cinematography, the shooting of the games, I think is great. There are several different uh, different passes and, and moments from different football games and Friday Night Lights where I can visualize it. I know exactly what that moment looked like in the game. And that's you know sort of in the way that I remember certain, uh, ri- you know, ridiculous, amazing moments from uh, the past several years, seasons of Bears games. You know, like, I, I think they did such a great job of capturing the uh, athleticism and the intensity and and just uh, even at times mimicking the sports coverage, the, you know, ESPN coverage of football in this show. Yeah, I don't watch sports, just to be clear. <laughs> I don't care about sports. It's, it's the aspect of, of, of conventional malehood that I'm worst at. But um, <laughs> but the fact that Friday Night Lights gets me to care about a football team that isn't even real for uh, for five seasons is quite something. Well, Simon, you said that there's not really an antagonist. I, I feel like starting out that there is, the, how the town is put so much pressure on Coach Taylor to make it to state. You know, they show all these, all the men of the town have their state rings mm-hmm. and just the pressure that he is under. Well, and then tr- the translation of that, you, like you, you do get so, you're so in Eric's space for so much of, uh, especially early season one. And then you go to that, uh, that, that fundraiser or whatever at Buddy's where they have the new team and the old team there and you see how that translates to not just Eric, but all these kids, these high schoolers. Yeah, who are, the you know, pressure they put on them. Yeah. Generations yeah. of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and that connects maybe to something else we can talk about, which is just how indelible the show's sense of place is, considering the place isn't real. <laughs> um, it just just keep that. It, it took me a while to figure that out. By the way, I didn't. I don't know anything about Texas, so. Um, it, I didn't realize at first that, uh, Dylan wasn't real, but, you know, they communicate so early and so often and so effectively that this town eats, sleeps, breathes, dies on football. And, and you're, uh, you're right to point that out, Stephanie, just the, 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 the pressure that, that, that coach is under, especially in that first season is just so tremendous. And just the way, I, I think one of the reasons that, the show plays on our emotions so successfully. And I don't mean that again, like you said, not in a manipulative way is because they make it clear how much this means to them. And then it becomes infectious. Yeah. I, one of the things I think I most love about this show um, is its themes. And, and there's, there's a number of, of main ideas that the show toys with over the years, but you know, the, the, the big ones for me are, we already talked about marriage and, and what that means and family and what that means. But it's also, for me, this is a show about the nobility and the humanity of a smaller life, you know, as far if you're going to say a big life and a small life about, this is about regular people just trying to get through their week and and trying to uh, be good people in the real situations that people find themselves in. When you're Mindy and you just had a kid and the only job you can get is stripping and you can't get the shift that you need. The little things like that, people trying to keep their 
their humanity. And I love that it is all about good people mm-hmm. for the most part. They're, every now and again, you get a McCall's family, but for the most part, this is all good people. And then you see what happens when they come into conflict with each other. One of these conflicts being how much this town in a way needs football and then the conflict that puts them in with coach. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, I think every main conflict in the course of the show for the most part is good people on the opposite sides of a divide. Right. Well, l- luckily for you mentioned Mindy, luckily for her, it's just TV stripping. Yes, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> Which is th- thank good. L- lucky for her that it's nothing like real life stripping. Um, yeah, the, this is one of the most proudly middle class or even lower class, lower middle class shows ever made. And that's, that's fantastic to see, which, which is, you know, tied into the fact that the show is so, is so devoid of high concept ideas kicking around in its, in its construction. It's so, almost, most episodes, you know, they're, we're looking at a day in the life of, of these people and that's, and that's really it with, you know, one exception, which I keep teasing, which we have to talk about at some point. <laughs> Should, well, before we go there, because I know we're going to, and we're going to probably spend the rest of the episode there, um, I, let's talk about, uh, we talked about the shooting style, and we talked a little bit about the cinematography. Texas looks gorgeous on this show. Just like, yes. it, it's amazing, gorgeous cinematography. Um, but I want to talk briefly about the music. Cause I love it. Oh, I love it. Yeah, the this shares with the film Friday Night Lights, uh, the that a lot of the music, if it isn't Explosions in the Sky, the um, who I believe are from Austin, it's music cues that sound a lot like Explosions in the Sky, who are a uh, sort of expansive instrumental post rock band, uh, and they they that style is so great for the epic football showdowns and for the small emotional moments. It's very versatile stuff. Uh, but I could I could seriously drone on all day and write an entire critical essay about the show's use of Daniel Johnston's Devil Town. Why don't and, you do that for the website, by the way? I want to read I'm, it. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Um, but yeah, and and it's in its various cover versions, which it's basically the unofficial theme of Friday Night Lights. Was this song was this covered for the show? Yeah, it was. It, it's I believe it. It appears in a few different versions. I actually don't think we ever hear. I can't think if we ever hear the original Daniel Johnston version on the show, but yeah, it, there's, there's, I think we hear at least two, if not three versions of the song. Yeah, I know that, uh, <laughs> entertainingly enough, apparently Tony Luca from The Voice last year was, has one of the versions of, uh, the, uh, of the show, but on, on the show that is, but there, there are several different, and I think at least one or two of them were recorded for the show, if not, uh, dis- kind of discovered from some dusty shelf somewhere and used and, mm-hmm. and brought to prominence via the show. But yeah. And I, I also wanted to mention though, I really enjoyed the, the Friday Night Lights, the actual theme song, uh, which is by WG Snuffy Walden, who I, you know, I've loved his stuff, especially with Sorkin for quite a long time. So it's such a different feel. And, and it is one of those things where you watch the opening credits and I love that it has opening credits and you are immediately put into this world uh, visually with the, again, the cinematography and the, the huge open spaces, but also orally with, with the soundtrack. I'm not a music person. I just like it. That's all I can say <laughs> about it. <laughs> well, that's all that matters, really. Let's go on to the much teased discussion. Season two, Landry kills a dude and then they cover it up. And uh, yeah. 
Yeah, they were really wanting some more viewers, so they it's, decided to do something, I don't know, something more uh, exciting. Yeah, it's it's amazing how just, Kate, you just saying that sentence, just it, even if you haven't watched the show, it's clearly, it's immediately obvious of like, wait a minute, are they still talking about the same show? Uh, but, <laughs> but what I do find interesting, and I feel like this is what you were probably going to say, Kate, so I'm sorry for stealing some of your thunder. Go for it. Um, What's interesting about the Landry killing thing is that it ultimately ends up it ultimately ends up demonstrating what's great about the show because the show owns up to that mistake one hundred percent there is no retconning whatsoever at all. <laughs> they just never uh, mention it again. It's an Armin Tenzarian situation. Uh well yeah, but I mean ultimately they don't mention it. But but they take a while they take their time wrapping it up and they, they do what makes sense with each character, given that they did something that doesn't really make sense for the show. Um and I I think it, it recovers admirably and people forget that season two has a lot of amazing stuff in it. They they they, they think of that as, as the murder season and they forget about a lot of the other great character work that's going on. I actually think, and perhaps this will be somewhat of a, uh, uh, a a disagreeable opinion to some, I think the murder is fine, actually, because it's not murder, it's self-defense, and it's an accident. I think that's fine. I think where the, the problem was is when they shoved the body in the back of a car and dumped it off of a bridge instead of just calling the cops. I Who think was it, Landry's dad? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. If they had just... You know, I think that would have been utterly salvageable. That I, I still see that working within the reality of the show and giving them lots of really interesting stuff to explore. The the bigger problem, like I said, is when they all of a sudden it becomes some noir thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's not the only issue with season two, because like you said, there's a lot of great stuff with season two. But this is also the season of uh, was it uh, Corinne or? What Claudia? What's the name of the nurse? The nurse? Oh God! I just think of her oh. as the nurse who who should not have been. And and Carlotta. then the, Carlotta. There we go. And and then there's also um, I can't remember his name. The guy moving in with uh with Buddy Santiago. Santiago. And that was actually one of the the plot threads. I hope they would come back to, but that they also never mentioned again. I I, I feel like perhaps due to how strong the negative reaction was in season uh, uh two that that they perhaps abandoned some of these things that they, that they shouldn't have santiago's mm -hmm. a big one of that uh you know for for me i'm curious what you guys think yeah that doesn't go anywhere yeah i, I was... it's it's amazing how until you brought it up i had totally forgotten about it yeah was that the season that lala went all sister christian i believe so yes yeah well to, to me like as long as we're pointing out things because the, the the dirty secret of television is that there's no such thing as a perfect series. Mm -hmm. It does not exist. Even my favorite show ever, Deadwood, is not perfect. Um, but uh, to, to me, Lila is probably pretty consistently the least interesting of the bunch. Yeah. And that's, and I, I don't know how much of that is Minka Kelly's fault, and I don't know how much is the writing's fault. But they never, they just never, her plot lines are rarely the most interesting. I think by the end of the show, she is likable, and and sympathetic and I, I care somewhat about where she ends up, but not to the same degree as I do with basically every other character. <laughs> well, I would throw to uh, onto that, uh, that pile perhaps. I think that, I think I would put most of that, I think with, uh, 
with Mika Kelly. Just, I mean, I think she's all right as an actress. I just think maybe she wasn't prepared to also be an improv screenwriter and, you know, maybe she wasn't, you know, she didn't, she wasn't served as well by their shooting style as many of the other actors. But I would also have to throw uh, Amy Teagarden in there and Julie. And I kind of hate Julie. <laughs> and it's, it's mostly through her relationship with Saracen and the fact that Zach Gilford is so good on this show that I like her at all. Uh, and, and maybe just the proximity to her, you know, Connie Britton and Kyle Chandler, who I also love that, that, you know, I think, of the the cast, it's really interesting that those are the two standouts for me in that that who don't quite work. Even I, I wasn't big on Becky for a while, but Madison Burge got so much better over the course of her time on the show that by the end I I love that character. But Julie and Lila did not work as well for me as everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, I I actually like Julie a lot. I think that she it, she makes so much sense as a person who because her parents are so sensible Mm -hmm. and so uh and so great and And amazing and and amazing and awesome (laughs) and adorable and please be my parents but (laughs) and and so it makes perfect sense to me that they would raise a kid like julie who reacts against them by being kind of useless a lot of the time and that that sounds harsh but you know she's a teenager i mean it 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 takes her a while to sort her stuff out she she makes total sense to me yeah, once she stops uh, driving into mailboxes, she gets a lot better. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Stephanie, what about you? Are there any yeah. characters who don't quite translate? Yeah, Julie was, she, in season two, she started uh, rebelling and becoming just an angsty teenager, and I think she went overboard with it. I think she needed to have been reined back some. I also wonder how much of my not liking her is the fact that she trampled all over Saracen's heart <laughs> in season yeah. two. Is that just me? <laughs> Well, and it, and maybe I'm. I think maybe everyone is projecting. I think Friday Night Lights uh, inspires all kinds of project, projection, uh, viewer projection, maybe more than any other show, just because it's so real. And I think that's one of the reasons Julie makes sense to me is because she breaks Saracen's heart. Oh, that's just okay. That's bummed me out. We're talking now. We're going to switch it over <laughs> to positive ones. Who 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 are the standouts for you guys? Obviously, aside from our lead couple. Oh, of course, Saracen. Zach mm-hmm. Guilford. I mean, I was rewatching with my daughter not too long ago, and as soon as he came on screen, I mean, like, my eyes just welled up with tears. <laughs> <laughs> because, I, and I guess it's because he has no father, and the whole story that Coach is, uh, you know, teaching him to become, he's got to step up and be this quarterback and fill the spot that um, Six left, and that kid, he is, uh, that character is, it's a great character. And I think the filming style suits him so well because he's just so mumbly and uh, <laughs> uh, 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 unsure of himself. And Yeah. He, he he could so easily have been a frustrating or annoying character just because he's so, at, at first, so ineffectual. Mm-hmm. But uh, Guilford just plays him to the hilt. And it's, it's, a, it's almost obscene how much you're rooting for the guy by like even by mid season one well and i think some of that also goes to uh goes to grandma saracen luann stevens who is fantastic on this show as Mm -hmm. you know the other part of his family and she kind of makes him make sense i think one of the other things about saracen that i really love is i love how eric never quite cottons to him he never quite likes him (laughs) 
the way that he 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 has this really strong rapport with Jason and with Vince, but he never quite has that with yeah. Uh, just when they're starting Saracen. to get into a groove and he's helping, that's when he starts dating Julie, and then that <laughs> it's <yeah>. all over. <laughs> How about any, any other standouts? Uh, Simon, who comes to mind? In in retrospect, it's kind of strange that Taylor Kitsch is so good on this show and that his character is so awesome because he's it's it's been kind of tragic to watch his post-Friday Night Lights career because he keeps being in these massive duds. Uh, and he, he, he when I see him in films, he never seems all that charismatic or interesting. He, he doesn't strike me as a bad actor, but he never... He doesn't feel charismatic enough to be a leading man. But here... He's just oozing the stuff. Yeah. And I, th I think he's another guy who, who cottons on to this uh, shooting style uh, just like, like a, he, it fits him like a glove for some reason. And he's, the, the whole Riggins clan is just awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, uh, like, there are kind of performances that come to mind for me uh, watching Taylor Kitsch in this show. And, I'm not trying to say that he is equal to these performances. That's a discussion for perhaps another time. But the ones that the two that kind of pop to mind are Brando in On the Waterfront. That's sort of that same kind of quiet, still kind of character who's uh, who's less sure. And the less that he talks, the more mesmerizing he is, and more you know, the the more he draws you in. And then also Heath Ledger in Brokeback Mountain, which is another kind of. I feel like watching. Riggins, when he's more emotional, when he's, you know, a little rawer, as he is, for example, when he gets out of prison, it hurts him to talk. He just kind of looks like even to breathe is painful. And I do think that Taylor Kitsch has, you know, is fantastic on the show. It's one of the things I keep seeing those trailers for the movies that he's in and wanting to, you know, I wa I'm watching a trailer with somebody else. They're like, oh, how can they keep casting that guy? Like, I promise he's good. I promise he's a good <laughs> actor. Just not in Battleship. Yeah, I read on Wikipedia that Peter Berg is writing a movie, uh, you know, that picks up where the show leaves off. And Taylor Kitsch says that, you know, he's played Riggins out, that there's no future for him to play Riggins. But I bet if they asked him today, he would probably, <laughs> after the summer he's had, he would probably be glad to play Tim Riggins again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also got to be one of those things where, when you watch a TV show, and especially if it starts out and it's not that great, at a certain point, you're not sure if the show got better or the actor got better or if you're just more used to them or if mm -hmm. it's a case of the writers and the directors figuring out how to best suit the actor's strengths. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, you know, because I think at first Riggins doesn't work for me, but, you know, in the course of the the first season, the first, you know, first few uh, few episodes, he really, you know... You 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 because he starts as a jerk. He's cheating. Uh, he's like cheating with his uh, best friend who just got crippled's girlfriend. I mean, but you still like him. Yeah, and he's an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. But you still root for him. Absolutely. Well, yeah. sp speaking of root for, I'm I got to mention uh, Tyra Collette, Adrian Palicki, who yes, I love on this show. I think she's fantastic, and I kind like. I wish that that the uh, Wonder Woman pilot hadn't been so terrible, so that that mm -hmm. could have worked and she could have maybe become a bigger star. Because I think she's fantastic on this show, and uh, I keep waiting for her to get another role that uh, is worthy of her, and it mm -hmm. hasn't happened yet. Well, as as long as we're praising supporting players, the last person I want to mention is Brad Leland. Oh, love him! 
uh, Buddy Garrity. Holy crap. He wins for uh, I, I, maybe not most improved, but just most surprising in the way that he grows on you as a real flesh and blood human being, as opposed to at the start of the show where it seems like he's just kind of comic relief. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of turn around and in season three, you're, you're finding yourself caring about Buddy. <laughs> you're yeah. just kind of confused how that happened. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Uh, Stephanie, any other characters for you? Uh, I was just going to, you know, talk about how Tyra, she it starts mm-hmm. out, she she's destined to be the town slut. You know, mm-hmm. she's she's going to follow in her mother and sister's footsteps. But And how, how the Taylors affected her life and... Yeah, she I'm getting just... choked up thinking about it. Not gonna lie, <laughs> little bits get a little dusty. <laughs> I mean, it's just the, that's what the show is. How the Taylors have affected this town, how they yeah. have made this town better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I I gotta say, this is one of the shows that has done the best job of pretty much any I can think of of recycling its cast. Uh, they they stretched it out a bit too much with Landry and Julie uh, sort of being becoming retroactive freshmen in the first season, which doesn't make any sense. Right. Particularly yeah. for I mean I don't get me wrong I love Landry I think the character's hilarious Jesse Plemons is great it's been so wonderful to have him on Breaking Bad this season. Yeah. Uh, but they should have been gone a season earlier, and uh, I, I th- but I think that you know so they held on to them a bit much but they actually I think did a pretty. Good job, because they brought on Vince and Jess and Luke and and Becky and all these other characters. And maybe there was a couple weeks of, you're not Smash. I don't like you as much. But, (laughs) you know, again, they they win you over and they bring in these new issues that, you know, for Coach to deal with and and for the team to have to deal with. When when they, uh, they fire him at the end of season three, I mean, this is a show that has three series finales and they're all amazing. Yeah. they, they, the fact that they just pick up right, you know, with a new school and mostly new characters, it's great. Yeah, the, the the fact that they invent another part of town that they never mentioned before, to my knowledge, uh-huh. or I didn't notice if they did, and we're basically okay with it because it's so well realized, that's really, really hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing that I had a problem buying was Tammy's new job. Yeah. That nobody else wanted that? Come on. Well, do you mean at the high school, or do you yeah. mean... Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I, I see that. I think there are a few d- leaps that you have to take with, with Tammy and her career trajectory, yeah. but I think uh, I think Kylie Britton's so good that I, at a certain point, I don't care. Particularly in the fifth season, I think. the yeah. Her magic new job in, in Philadelphia, I, I'm willing to give it to them just because it brings up so many really interesting issues. For the family and for her, you know, the relationship between her and uh, and Eric, Tammy and Eric. Um, but I do agree, you know, there's a couple of leaps you kind of have to take. Yeah. Yeah. And if that's its only weakness, then I'll give it to it. <laughs> Other than the Landry season two. <laughs> <laughs> Debacle. Yes. <laughs> but season two was this was when the strike happened. So the season was cut short. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it's got that going for it. <laughs> it's it was, yeah, I think 
then you're just sort of when there's such an embarrassment of riches, particularly character wise, as well as production wise for this show, I'm I'm totally willing to overlook a couple things like that. Um, and speaking of, we already know, I think, what everybody's least favorite season is. But what do you guys you know, what would you say for favorite season, favorite episodes, favorite uh, arcs? What do you think? It's a really for me in terms of seasons, it's really a toss up between seasons one and five. And there are so few shows you can say the first and last seasons are the best. Because generally speaking, shows either take a while to wind up or they wind down in a less than satisfying way. And this show doesn't have those problems at all. Stephanie, what about you? I don't know. Like you said, I can't remember specific episodes. I remember moments and and arcs. I just, uh, like, I remember uh, Coach taylor and julie playing ping pong in the garage Mm -hmm. and having like a heart to heart i think that was season one like early on and in season one the um uh deciding julie deciding that she was ready to have sex i'm gonna get choked up just thinking about that i was that was one i was gonna mention i love that scene with her Mm -hmm. and uh and her mom you guys are talking about getting choked up but that this stuff is nothing compared to the sun Oh yeah, there's that uh, in too. Se- in in season four, which to me, to, which in my mind is just one of the most devastating hours of TV ever. Holy crap! Yeah, it's up there. That one's up there with the body for me. As far as if you want to cry, put this episode on TV. The body, of course, is from Buffy. Even between those two, you know, the body's great and all, but there's no contest between them. Yeah, you're right. The body wins. Oh snap! Oh burn. Okay, but moving on. Uh, no, that's that. That's absolutely a great. Yeah, the ones that the, the 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 sex talk with Julie and her mom is one of those moments that absolutely stands out to me. The mud bowl, that whole sequence, Tyra getting attacked is another one. Um, yeah. And then and then just the small moments like like Vince and Coach, like Coach giving Vince a huge hug and saying you're going to be all right in season five. I'm getting mm-hmm. all choked up. Somebody else talk. <laughs> Jesus. I don't know. It took a long time for me to for the new characters to grow on me because I love the old characters so much. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I do think it's telling that I do default to the original cast when thinking about what characters stand out the most to me. I had to sort of like go down the list and be like, oh yeah, I did really love you know like Mindy has got to be one of my favorite characters. The growth of that character and yeah. that's all in the later seasons. And and same with with Jess, her trajectory and the fact that they don't have her end up with Vince, I love. Right. And and, and a lesser show wouldn't do that. Um, but yeah, or or Luke Cavity, I spent a lot of time in our Chicago Code uh, DVD shelf praising Matt Loria, you know, because I was such a big fan of him from this as well. But I do think that's a common thing where people that 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 first initial cast just really strikes a chord in that pilot one of the best pilots probably oh yeah it it's one of those great pilots where you're going to watch it and you're going to know immediately if this if the show is for you and if it's not for you um you're wrong I mean, that's okay there's, though there's there's lots of uh, working ropes around <laughs> Oh, ouch. Burn. So I guess uh, the final thing will be if you guys have any last thoughts or any like a favorite episode or anything like that you want to mention, we should probably uh, we've gone long as we always do, but we should probably say that. So, Simon, any final thoughts or favorite episode? Um, Well, I already mentioned The Sun, but the, the, the last thing I wanted to mention that I didn't before is this is such a good show and it's so detailed and so uh, thoroughly conceived 
that Landry's band, Crucifictorious, are amazing. <laughs> they're amazing, but more specific, they have an evolution and an arc all to themselves <laughs> over the course of pretty much the entire show. <laughs> and that is just stunning to me. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, that's Christian metal, right? For for those unaware. Well, they, they start out that way. <laughs> and then by the end of the show, there's something totally different. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Stephanie, any final thoughts for you? Yeah, it's one of the greatest television shows ever made. And I think, yeah, and if you just, um, if you're a, TV, a true TV fan, you have to watch this show in its entirety. Mm -hmm. I agree yeah, with that. It's entirety. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the fact that it has an, my final thought's going to be the fact that it has an entirety, that the fact that it has five seasons. Thank you, NBC. Thank you, DirecTV. Yeah. Uh, I think it's just such, I mean, it would have worked just as well if it had ended. Well, it, not just as well, of course, because we wouldn't have as many seasons, but it would have worked well if it had ended at its first end point, the end of season one, if it had ended at the end of season two or three if you know at, at season three if it had ended at season five i mean this is a really a stellar accomplishment yeah. from all involved you know despite our uh you know issues here and there of landry killing people yeah. but uh oh, I, sorry last quick thing i wanted to mention since you brought up finales everyone always forgets how fun the season two finale is oh and, yeah and, and peter berg's cameo <laughs> <laughs> yes yes um so yeah so if you uh if you check out nashville this year and you like connie Britton and that watch Friday Night Lights. If you like good television, watch Friday Night Lights. If you like football, watch Friday Night Lights. If you don't like football, watch, watch Friday, Friday Night, Night Lights. Lights. Basically, just watch Friday Night Lights. It's an amazing show. Um, so thank you so much, Stephanie, for coming on to allow... If, if I feel like it was just an opportunity for me to just spew love at this show. <laughs> I hope you got a word in edgewise. But thank you so much for coming on. Where can our listeners find you online? Um, do you, uh... I do Potential Cast, PotentialCast.com. That's our Buffy podcast. Uh, we do Redemption Cast, RedemptionCast.blogspot.com. That's our Angel podcast. We are finishing up season four of Buffy and season one of Angel. Oof, good stuff. I heard Restless is uh, coming up soon. Yes, we just recorded that. That was huge. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Also, my television podcast is what's on with Stuff and Dance. Oh, okay, excellent. Yeah, you guys should give it a listen. Absolutely. Thank you, Steffi, for coming on, and thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.